Good morning, church. My name is Terry Christensen. I'll be your worship guide this morning. I'm filling in for Jeannie Henkel this morning. Uh, Just a reminder that this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday already. It's hard to believe, but February 22nd is Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. We are having an Ash Wednesday service here, and all are welcome to attend. Your upper rooms for March and April are available in the back of the sanctuary. Food pantry, the next two dates that we serve are the 23rd and 30th of March. If you're interested in helping with that, contact Andrew Nimley. Uh, blessing box items are needed as always, and our grief share group is meets on Thursdays from 7 to 8.30. If you have any questions, you can contact Patty Upperman about that. Uh, being no more announcements, I ask you now to quiet your hearts and minds as we prepare for worship with the lighting of the candles, the carrying in of the cross, and as we listen to our prelude. Thank you. 
let's put a little smile on their face. Because everyone's reading the words, and I get that. Let's smile away a second, just for me. Yeah, just for me. So give us silently now. Just give me that now. Ready? Here we go. to worship, which comes from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap the songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Please join me in the congregational prayer. Holy Spirit, as the wind blows and we know not from where it came or where it is going, likewise you fall afresh on your people and lead us to new places. Empower your church today that we may be faithful and step into the future you have for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be in worship with you. For those joining online, hello to you too. If you know those that don't know me, my name is Pastor Has a Cold. And... Uh, <laughs> So we'll see here. The sermon may be short a little later, uh, depending on what the Lord does. But if I get a little sniffly, you know what's going on. Uh, we want to just take some time here to have a ministry moment uh, to just uh, let you know about confirmation uh, in our church. We're finally bringing back confirmation to our church after COVID happened and a couple other things happened uh, throughout the years, and we're bringing this back this year. Uh, if you're not familiar with what confirmation is, it's basically in, in the United Methodist Church. Uh, we believe that the grace of God is given freely, and so for even those that belong young babies, for instance, that are born that may not know anything about Jesus, but yet God's grace is available to even them. And so one of the things we do in our church is we baptize infants, knowing that they're a part of God's family and in God's church. But it's also with the understanding that that by default doesn't make them a follower of Jesus, right? That at some point in their own life, they have to make those decisions and actually choose to publicly declare who Jesus is for them and to claim if this church is something that is part of their life. And so what confirmation is, it's is kind of that process of the church taking young people and saying, hey, young people, here's what we believe. Here's what the church believes. And then they have the opportunity at the end of that of saying, yes, this is my belief, and I want to formally come in front of the church and publicly profess that. Or they have the option to say, hey, I'm either not ready or maybe, you know, this isn't for me. And so all three options are, of course, okay. Of course, we pray for that first one, that ideally that God's spirit moves and that the church does such a great job of making that vow when we baptize infants, that we will be the church for them, that we're going to teach them the ways of Jesus and help them grow in the faith, that by the time confirmation happens, they've pretty much already made that decision, and they're just doing it kind of in a formal way. And that's what confirmation is. It's a chance for young people, especially, it's a chance for them to come before this congregation and to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe what he's done for me, and I claim that salvation, and I claim his forgiveness and his grace, and I seek to be in this membership with you all of my own accord, not because of my family. So what we'll be doing through confirmation and how we'll be doing this is uh, we'll be having a special confirmation Sunday, of course, once our confirmands get to the end of that. But how we're going to do this is for those that are seventh grade and older, uh, they're going to have the opportunity to come talk to me and let me know, hey, I want to do the confirmation thing. I have a couple of people that were voluntold that they're doing it. Uh, and that is because technically they've actually already stood in front of the church, had conversations with them. One of the things the pastor has the ability to do is determine uh, if someone professes the faith or not and to bring them into full adult membership. And so there are two people that we did that with, but I made them promise that when this day came, they would go through the actual confirmation process, because there's still a lot of learning to do uh, through that process that's good for them. So uh, we have two, Ayu Moba and Camilla Nimley, that uh, are going to be going through this confirmation process, but it's open to others. So if you know anybody seventh grade or older uh, that maybe would benefit from going through something like this, they are more than welcome. Um, part of how this process works is we're going to be doing it through 10-week uh, sessions. 
And that sounds a lot, but what's going to happen is they're going to actually choose a mentor from the church. And that mentor is someone who's a, a member of our church, someone who they respect. And they're going to go and approach that person and, you know, basically ask, hey, will you be my mentor through this process? And we have a bunch of different material for them to go through each and every week. It's about kind of like a around roughly to about a 50 to minute session to like an hour and 15 minute somewhere each meeting. And they can choose to kind of go wherever they want as long as uh, they do abide by our safe sanctuary policies. So basically what most people in the past I've seen when we do this is they go to like somewhere like Little Italy where they're sitting at a table, but there's lots of adults and other people around um, to be there, and so that is okay in these kind of situations. So anyways, they will meet uh, and have different meetings, be talking about all sorts of different things in the faith, and uh, there'll be a couple sessions where they'll kind of come together and actually meet with the pastor as well. Uh, if you happen to be someone who's a member of this church, and you happen to be someone who is a confirmand that comes and asks you, hey, will you be my confirmation mentor? Your answer is yes, right? <laughs> So once you tell that, like, so unless you're like leaving the country, right, or something like that, then okay, no, it's okay. But, right, but your answer is yes. And I really challenge you that maybe you'd sit there and you'd say, well, I don't know much about the faith, or maybe I don't know and I don't feel up to this. The mentor saw something, or the confirmant saw something in you that they say, I want faith like that. Your answer is yes, okay? This is, I'm telling you as a pastor. Let me do you a favor. Your answer is yes. And don't worry about the material. You might learn yourself and go through it and have a good time and learn all sorts of things maybe you didn't know. But again, uh, we'll have uh, uh, the starting up just in the next few weeks. I'll get all the final bells and whistles on it. But again, I do want to invite anybody who has uh, knows young people in our church, again, seventh grade and older. Uh, if you've never been through it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, even if you're an adult and you want to go through it, I guess you technically could do it too. Uh, but most of the time, of course, it is young people that do this uh, uh, for this. So do want to let you know about that. Be in prayer. You'll see, uh, moving on to our, our prayer time today, you see printed in our bulletin different prayer requests. Uh, one of those, of course, is just what I was talking about, the prayers for our 2023 confirmands, and you see Ayub and Camilla's name there. Please keep them in prayer. Of course, uh, we'll kind of uh, put their, uh, when they choose their mentors and officially ask them, we'll actually put their mentors in their queue so you can pray with the sets of those that are uh, meeting together and faithfully learning about the faith. Do want to mention to you, uh, before we get in our prayer request uh, proper here today, that um, do you want to mention to you, we have a prayer email, and that's prayer at groveportunc.org. Normally, uh, I would say at this time, hey, if you have a prayer request, send it on in. I still encourage you to do that, but I do want to let you know we've had some issues uh, with being locked out of the domain for some reason these last five, ten days. So uh, just be a little gracious in the fact that we may, it may take a little bit of time to get logged, like get back in and get permissions and be able to send out and things like that. Uh, so just be aware of that. Be praying for us, and uh, of course, we want to let our prayer warriors know what's going on and all those different things. Um, okay, we're going to have it fixed tomorrow. So you heard it from the man upstairs, right? It's good. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have it fixed tomorrow. So let's go ahead and send in your prayer request, and we'll make sure those go out. I uh, do want to mention to you, we do see our prayer concerns there. Uh, of course, we want to lift all those up. I do want to add one this morning that's very special to us. Of course, Gary Hinkle, uh, many of you have heard that he had some, uh, you know, he's been having some issues with his heart. He did get some medical treatment for that. We do want to lift him up. Of course, Jeannie as well. Okay, great. So he was having some out of rhythm uh, atrib kind of stuff going on, and, and they've now had it back on rhythm. So he's uh, going to be feeling a lot better. So we do want to pray for him during this time. Uh, of course, uh, his healing as well. You see our other prayer concerns. Of course, we want to continue to lift up those that are affected in that earthquake, uh, just rebuilding of their lives, rebuilding of whole communities and cities uh, that we want to lift up our brothers and sisters this day. Also, um, I don't know if you saw this on the news, but uh, the Ukraine conflict that's been going on, it started February 24th last year, which is this week. So we're almost a year into it, which is crazy to believe. Um, and of course, we want to lift that out. I know we've been faithfully doing that, but especially just this year, it seems like it uh, is always just simmering right on the edge of escalating into a worldwide conflict. Let's be in prayer for that. Of course, be in prayer for those families that have been torn apart, those that have lost loved ones. Um, and just a lot of people that are in a situation they don't want to be in. So let's pray for those churches. Let's pray for the people. Let's pray for those families that are affected. And let's, especially this week, keep them in our hearts and minds. See, all, again, all the other prayer requests there. Do I always want to lift up those in long-term care? So lift up Jack, Carol, Annabelle, Charlotte, Bet, and Reverend Meredith, as well as those in active military service, Jake, Nicole, Matthew, Bishop, Brandon, Parker, Justin, and James. Altar rail is open here today. Uh, friends may come along and put their hands upon you. Your pastor's not because he doesn't want you to share his germs. 
Um, but I will be praying for you as well. But the altar rail is available for you to come and meet with God if you need to do that here today. Let's go down to the Lord in a time of prayer. God, the one who is and is and yet to come. God, as we're here today and we just worship your name, we lift up that name of Jesus, we lift up the work that he's done on the cross, we lift up the teachings, again, that have been passed down to us, that the sacred scriptures proclaim. As we're here today, Lord, we once again rest in your grace. May your Holy Spirit bind us up in all those ways that we are broken. May you turn our eyes again towards you. May you heal up those parts of us, the, the spiritual parts of us, Lord, that yearn and just pull away from you, that find devastation in all things. May you again bring us back in line and tune us to be in line with you. God, not only for the blessing that we'd experience in our own life and our own family, but that, Lord, we would be a cup that overflows, that joy and the blessings of the fruit of the Spirit would be given unto others that we would come in contact with that those who are far apart from you, maybe those who are even hostile to you, would experience that goodness, that their interest would be piqued, and Lord, that their eyes would be turned towards you. God, we do pray, Lord, that you continue to mold us and shape us and make us into your image. We pray for those, Lord, who are lost and lonely. As we hear today, we lift up a lot of the concerns that are appearing, uh, appearing in our world, that is. As we mentioned here this morning, we especially pray for the Ukrainian conflict, God. Even though there's always wars, and many of them we don't even know about. Lord, this one's been front and center stage for almost a whole entire year. God, we've continued to pray for peace. We've continued to pray for those families. The church, in so many ways, has reached out and done amazing work to provide in all sorts of ways, with food, health, shelter, new starts, and everything they can. But God, we know there's a lot of work yet to be done. God, we do pray for those families that are torn apart. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray, Lord, for those who are fighting for their freedom. We pray for those who have been conscripted in the military that are forced to do things they don't want to. God, we do pray for the world leaders to be able to find resolutions of peace. We pray for those who, Lord, would just have a change of heart. And especially, God, where people would pursue power and authority over others, God, that you would work in their life to change their heart and bring them to repentance. God, as we're here today, we do pray not only for the conflict in Ukraine, we pray for our family members and brothers and sisters and those in the faith as well as those that aren't over in Turkey and Syria and the earthquake. May you bind them up here today. Bring those communities back to vibrant communities, Lord, and just work throughout this whole whole entire United Nations and everybody else, Lord, to begin rebuild and to be in this together. God, we do pray for those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones, those who are hurting. We pray for those who search for jobs. We pray for our first responders. 
Pray for those who are shut-ins or those who are facing end-of-life issues. God, we do pray again for your Holy Spirit to work through us as well. God, we lift up a name I forgot in the prayer request, Anna Hall, this time as she's in hospital. Lord, we do pray for her as well. God, as we're here today, we pray for those that come seeking your special touch, those prayer requests that always come before you. May you hear their, their petition and once again work in their life. And finally, God, we pray that prayer that marks us as your followers. So we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Come to a time in the service now where we give a little bit back to God. Um, it's time for our offering of our gifts. We have uh, several ways you can do that. We have a plate in the back of the church. You can drop an offering envelope in there. You can mail a check to the church here at 512 Main Street in Groveport. Um, you can also go on our website and sign on the Ezekiel Giving Program, and you can give online that way. Would you please stand now for the singing of the doxology? our hands have brought. Bless the work our hearts have planned. Ours is the faith, the will, and the thought. The rest, O oh God, is in your hand. Amen. At this time, we'll have special music from Angela Martin. So this morning I thought I would do something that is um, a tried and true, and if you know this song, please feel free to sing along with me. That would be lovely.
scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 31, through chapter 2, verse 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Welcome to those online. Hello to you as well. And uh, as I told the church earlier, but in case you're watching this a little bit later on online, uh, I have a little bit of a cold today. So uh, hopefully we'll get through this, uh, let me know, with the Lord's help. Do you want to say that we're starting a new sermon series? Woohoo! And uh, we'll be titling this sermon series that is Fellowship, right? It's not fellowship, but fellowship, right? And we'll get to that a little bit later as we go through this. But first, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this uh, sermon series is called Fellowship, which, of course, if you just short it, it's fellowship, right, all together. And this is something that we hear in the church quite often, especially in Scripture when you're reading through. If you ever read in the English, there's a word about fellowship, word about fellowship, word about fellowship, quite often throughout Scripture as we read through it. Well, that word fellowship is going to be an important one, I think, for our church, and you'll see why today. But as we mentioned in our last sermon series, that where do we go from here and what is really the next step? Well, your pastor's answer to that is this word, fellowship. (laughs) And what I mean by that is before a church can be truly outwardly focused and truly doing the outreach that it needs to do, one of the things it needs to do is have this core spot with each other, this core being with each other, this core part of Scripture that we see over and over again. And so one of the things that's time to focus on is to really focus on this idea. The Greek word is called koinonia. So say koinonia. You guys aren't in this. Come on, people. Koinonia. Let's hear it. There we go. Yeah. Koinonia. Now, of course, what this word meant uh, is, is something interesting. It basically means literally this. It literally means participation. And so the Greek authors took this word, and a lot of times it kind of, with that word, literally what it meant, it also kind of means and comes to understand this idea is what is shared in common. And so participation is a word that we maybe translate it as, or maybe contact, fellowship, intimacy, contribution, or even collection. All kind of ideas of what koinonia was about. And of course, as you read through Scripture, you read about the early church and the things that were happening with it. It talks about fellowship over and over And you see those different things. You see people participating. You see people intimate and giving up the worldly things and living living in a fellowship with each other. You see the contributions and collections for those that are in need. You see all sorts of different things in this idea of fellowship. But of course, the original Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, as we just mentioned. It was eventually, of course, translated in Latin. Eventually, that was translated into English. And so it's interesting to think about just for a minute why they chose the word fellowship in the English language for the word koinonia. And it's interesting, the English word fellowship really meant this. It was a, literally meant back in the day, a partner and a venture, right? So if you were starting something, it was the partnership, the buy-in to be part of something that would hopefully grow as in a business, right? And so they said, okay, what is the right word for this word koinonia to put into English? And they said, we got the word fellowship, which you and I know today Stem from that idea, to be holy into God's people, 
and to once again be participating in all that God has for us together. Now, when I think of this image of this word fellowship, what comes to my mind is literally some of the words that are in it. And what I mean by that is you remember the days of sailing across the oceans, right? And almost always, did a ship go by itself? No. It always had a what? Another ship, right? And if you think about that image of almost two or more ships like crossing through the ocean and going through all the dangers of itself, there were a couple things they had in common. One was, of course, they had a common goal. They were trying to get somewhere. You didn't just float around on the ocean just to float around on the ocean, right? There was something you were trying to do and to get across and do and a goal to go towards. They also relied on each other. And so when they both were caught, if their ship was caught up and one's sail was torn, they would share resources back and forth, of course, to go across. They would share common command. They would share common all sorts of resources with each other and to be in this together, to uplift each other. And one had misfortune. The other one shared in those misfortunes to lift up and encourage and to bring that ship along. Otherwise, that ship might sink. And then if they were in trouble, what happened? There was no other ship to help them. So there was a common cause here, right, of fellowshipping, taking care of one another, going across. And of course, whatever fortunes were shared were shared with each other. And so if a great gale came, both ships would go through it together and on the other side would help rebuild. Or if both came and had strong headwinds, they'd both reap the rewards of getting to an early port earlier than they expected. Well, in these coming weeks, I wanted to take some time to look at this idea of what does true fellowship look like in Scripture? And of course, to start, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. And I don't know if you ever sit and think about these days of God's creation that's told in Genesis chapter 1, but I always love to stop and think about it, especially in today's world, because if you're like me, everything in the world just keeps going, keeps reaching out to you, right? Your phone keeps dinging, right? The, the, you know, now we set our alarm in our fridges, and you know, there's like smart fridges that tell you when you're out of food, right? And order it for you, and then they ding your phone saying, hey, I ordered food for you, right? It gets delivered. There's all sorts of craziness in our world which is constantly berating us, constantly coming, constantly coming. And yet, at the very creation of the world, there's this story of what God did on the seventh day. You remember, of course, we just read it, and what do you do on the seventh day, people? You rested. God rested, and he says in Scripture that not only did he rest, in resting, he made it what? What's the word that's used? Holy. And then if you look at the people of God, you know, as you research the Israelites and you read through Scripture, there's a command that's told to them over and over and over. And one of the ways that they're going to be known as the people of God is they're going to do what on the Sabbath? They're going to keep it holy. And it wasn't an option. It was God told them, you're going to keep this holy. You are my people. Keep it holy. And so they were supposed to rest on that day. Now, if you ever look at what the Israelites, what they did on the rest, so what do you do if you rest on a day? What does that practically look like? Here's what it looked like. You gathered with family and friends. And you'd done most of the preparation for all your meals the day before, so you just sat and ate. You were on a cruise ship people. That's what the day of holiness was, right? You were sitting around, hanging out with nothing to do, eating with your friends and your family, and really, for lack of any other better words, you were just sat and enjoyed life together. Because on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to just be alone and do no work. The whole idea of the Sabbath was you were with the people together. You know, God, really, it's interesting looking at the, the Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. He, it's very clear in Scripture that he had that rhythm of the Sabbath and keeping it. We know in Scripture that sometimes people got mad at him for not keeping the Sabbath in their own eyes. They got mad at him for healing. They got mad at him when his disciples picked some, like, when they were hungry, and they picked some kernels of wheat, you know, to, to kind of bring in the field. But it doesn't talk about anything else that Jesus did on the Sabbath as far as things that people got mad at. He for sure kept the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest. It was something that he did. Otherwise, we'd hear about it in Scripture. And that rhythm still stands for us today to do, to take hold of, and to live out in our own lives. And if you really stop and think about it, do you take time to make a holy day of rest? In our culture, guess what? If you're like me, it doesn't want you to. They want you to be so busy, you can't keep track of anything that you buy whatever it tells you, 
right? You go and spend money on whatever it tells you. You need this new thing, this new thing, this thing. You have to go to this new, you know, pumpkin patch because you see it on Facebook and all your other friends are having this great family picture moment on Facebook. And so you got to take your family to the new pumpkin patch because no other pumpkin patch will do on your day off, right? But yet, God says that he rested on the seventh day. He called it holy in so doing. He commanded his people to keep it holy. And the way they did that was being together. You might use the term fellowship on that day. And almost the heart of fellowship started in this idea of rest. Now, I went and I saw a movie last night with the kids. You guys uh, probably like going to the movies. I like going to the movies a lot. I really enjoy it. Kids and I love it. And, and, you know, the kids, well, okay, it's me. I really like the popcorn, maybe even better than the movie. But the kids like it too, right? So, you know, we do the whole popcorn thing and then... I always like, we always are running late, so we always like don't eat dinner ahead of time, and then you eat like a whole bucket of popcorn, and you just, yeah, anyways. And, and if you're like me, you just salt it and butter it like crazy. So, you know, you just feel, maybe I'm sick because of the buttered popcorn last night, I don't know. But uh, I went and got, saw the movie Puss in Boots last night. Now, oh, you saw it, did you see it? It was, Terry is absolutely right. It was being my, my critical assessment of this movie, it was great, and totally worth going and seeing in the movie theaters. Like, it was just fun. It was fun the whole way through. Had great messages in it and all that. Well, one of the characters, they set up kind of some foils. And, of course, our main characters have some flaws. And there's some side characters that come along that are the opposite of those flaws. You know, they're kind of like the foil. You know, this kind of goes in storytelling, right? How they're the opposites and stuff. And the, the characters grow because of being interacting with this, with this person. And so in this one, uh, this one character is called Parito throughout the dog. It just means literally little dog in Spanish, right? And so he goes by Perito at this point and goes throughout the whole movie being called this. And um, there's this point in the movie where the Perito dog is basically, what I love about so much about this movie too is this character is one of the first characters I've seen in a long time that like just nails the fruit of the spirit. Like so many times when we tell stories nowadays, like everybody's evil, you know, like there's, everybody's got these flaws and you got everybody's got to like all these weird things got to happen. This is a movie where finally there's a character who literally like lives and embodies all the different fruit of the spirit we see in scripture. And uh, this dog, you know, is just so kind and loving and forgiving and, and all the loyal things, all the things you just, when you sit and you say, this is something good. And you encounter this character you, throughout the movie, you're just cheering for this character because the character is so good. But what's so interesting about it is one of the good character traits, right? And, and Terry can attest to this that saw the movie they go through this whole journey, but there's this one part where they're going through and trying to find this treasure, if you will, and they got to stop and smell the roses, right? Otherwise, the roses eat you, is what happens. But you got to stop and, and smell the roses, right? Because the roses won't let you through otherwise, and they're being chased, and they're all, you know, there's this whole great story of all these characters that are all trying to get to the end, and they're all racing each other and doing these things. But the story stop and smell the roses. And what the characters kind of learn by the end, I'm not going to ruin the whole thing for you, but they learn from Little Perito <laughs> what true life looks like. And at the end, the treasure was there with them the whole time. Well, church, I would pose to you that God has the treasure for us this whole time. And I love looking at this idea of God resting, because of course, was God tired? It doesn't seem so. I think God could have gone 150 million days of creating if he wanted to, but he went six. Now, why did he rest? Was it just to be an example for his people? Well, surely that is true, but was that the only reason? I think the answer is no. The only reason I can really kind of come up with and that I see in Scripture is that God rested because he wanted to stop and enjoy the creation. What does it say? Remember when, when the fall happens and they eat from the, Adam and Eve eat from the tree? It says in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, about God would take walks in the garden. Just think about that. God, creator of the universe, stopped and walked in the garden he created. He called out to the people he created. Be with them. Fellowship was there at the beginning. It was God created, and it was the foundation almost for everything else that comes from God's commands of what to do and who to be and how to work into this world that oftentimes goes tipsy-turvy and sideways and all the different gray areas of going through things. But one of the keys is, is it starts with 
this idea of holy rest and this idea of fellowship. You see it even in the scriptures of Jesus. When he, Jesus calls his disciples in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the very first thing it says about them, it says he then called a group of people up to, to come, and it says he called them to what? First thing it says is to be with him. And then to go send them and do all sorts of things, it says after that. But the very first thing it says is literally just to be with him. It's been often said in church leadership and church people and different things that there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. Now, if you get sent to an island or something, right, you get shipwrecked or something, God's still with you, he doesn't abandon you, that's not what they mean, but they mean the Christian life properly lived out cannot be one in a silo. It's not one that's lived by oneself, it's lived only in a community. In fact, John Wesley, who of course we admire in many different ways, but one of the things he was really big on was, there is no such thing as a sole Christian. And in fact, his whole entire, why we remember him is he was a genius at organizing people and actually getting them into people groups of not only fellowshipping with each other, but truly living together onto that goal of becoming more Christ-like. That togetherness, that fellowship, that being together was the very first thing not only at creation, was the very first thing not only for Jesus calling his disciples, was the very first thing that John Wesley mirrored in the holy Christian life of making sure you were with other people making sure that you didn't just come on a Sunday morning, but you actually spent time with other Christians in that fellowship and uplifting each other. Well, church, you probably get the message here today. But the very first thing, now that we kind of got the wall set up, before some of the houses are even built, remember what they did in the sermon we had preached just a few weeks ago? They celebrated the Passover, right? And then they celebrated the Festival of Booths. If you're someone who maybe has a hard time with, uh, you know, the idea of a whole, taking a whole day of rest, a couple of things I've found very helpful to do that. First of all, it's interesting how Scripture tells time, right? Because we tell time totally differently. Modern times, of course, we have midnight, right? Next day, 12.01 is the next day. Or even 12 is the next day, you know, always forget, you know, the argument of is it exactly midnight or is it 12.01? But anyways, we tell time by a clock. Well, you know, even before that, when you didn't really have the clocks as much, people told time by the idea of the morning sun rose up. And until the morning sun rose up the next day, it was that day. However, that's not even how Scripture tells time. It's actually the opposite. You see, the day started with sundown. If you read in Scripture, it says those words, right? For instance, in the day six, it says this, and God saw that all he had made, it was very good, and there was, what, evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So maybe try changing up the way you think about the day, if you have some trouble with this, because the day doesn't start at sunrise in the scriptural kind of testimony. The day starts at sunset. And believe it or not, your day actually starts with the restful part of your day, if you think about it. The day where you're winding down and getting ready for bed and, and you know, being that time with your family as you sit around a table, hopefully, or fellowshipping with other believers and doing those things, that's how the day starts. And then, of course, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. Christians, we changed it to the first day of the week on Sunday, but it actually was Saturday. And so if you think about how this logically works, it actually was Friday, what we would call Friday night at sundown, until Saturday night at sundown is technically the actual Sabbath day that originally was instituted. And so not that it really kind of matters too much in the sense of which day you choose, but the simple idea is this, is that there is a day of rest that's been ordained by God to be holy. And if you do it right, you have to fellowship. There's no way around it. It's part of the gig, and it's part of the rest. And it was instituted by God. And it seems like in Scripture, as we read in the creation account, God took great joy in it to walk in the garden, to be with God, his people of his creation. And Jesus himself not only adhered to the Sabbath in many different ways and, and enjoyed as we see kind of throughout Scripture, but his very first task for his disciples just to be with him. Church, as we move forward in these days, we're going to be looking at all sorts of different ways of fellowship and how to do it and what Scripture testifies to it. 
as I said, we got some potlucks coming up. We're going to do some fellowshipping. Get your, get your kitchen stoves ready and your crock pots getting going and dust them off because we're going to be having some fun. We'll talk more about that later. But church, the big message once again. First things first. It's time to fellowship. Make sure you make room in your heart, your mind, and your schedule, in your calendar. To put fellowship first. Let us pray. God, as we're here today, once again, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your purpose in our life. That your word, Lord, always goes out and it never, ever comes back empty. It always bears fruit. And God, it's amazing to think that you, the creator of the universe, not only created things, but you created us. That you loved us so much. That this whole gospel story plays out and that we, your people, are here today to once again hear these words. Lord, in our own culture, in our own times, it's so easy, Lord, to forget about this idea of rest and this idea of fellowship. God, it's the very core and the very center of who we're called to be. And so as we're here today, Lord, help us to once again make this a priority and to make this the life-giving part of where we reach out and do all the mission work and all the things you've called us to do. Let it come from this cup that overflows. Because, Lord, not only do we love each other, but like two ships on a great journey, we're there for each other. We're cheering each other on. We're uplifting each other, and we truly are partners in this, this great endeavor of your great mercy and your great love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able this morning for our closing hymn, How Great Thou Art.
Well, thank you for being in worship with us here today. And those online, thank you as well. As uh, we share in fellowship, I'm not going to share my germs with you. So we're going to skip the hand receiving line today. I'll stay up here, but if you need me, I'm up here. Uh, but then uh, let's hear this word from a benediction that comes from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The word says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor from all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien living within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May you as the people of God now go throughout this world being tossed by every turn and every text message and every update on your phone. May you know the rest of our Lord and the fellowship that comes and springs forth from it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.